Okay. Just to make on his way to Omaha. Uh, another conference that he's going to be a speaker at, and uh, we just ask you to continue to keep him in prayer and bring him back safely uh, on the appointed time. And uh, tonight we're here to praise God. Amen? So let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you've given us to come together again, Lord, as you always do, Father, that we come in your name, Lord. We come in the name of Jesus, Father. We come under your mercy and your love, your grace, Father. And I just want to thank you, Lord, for your word tonight, that everything that, uh, that I speak tonight, Father, will have come from your heart to ours, Lord, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. <clears throat> well, um, the very idea that we are worthy of God's blessings merely because we say we are Christians is flawed, is unrealistic. Just saying I'm Christian does not put us in the position where God wants us to be. It's not because of a label that a product is accepted. The name, of the, the name of the product is not what makes it good. It's the testing of it. It's the using it. It's how it is taken in by each person that buys the product. So the label eventually becomes the identifier of it. So when someone says, I am a Christian, and other people agree you are a Christian, it's because you've already shown that you are a Christian by the way that we talk, that you walk, that you speak, what you do, your character, everything says Christian. It becomes popular because, because it is tested by being used and found to be good to the taste or for the purpose for which it was intended. Sears, the department store, sells products with the name of Craftsman. And if, you, if you've ever bought a Craftsman tool, you know that if it wears, wears out, you can take it back to Sears and get a replacement for it free of charge. There were people at one time that were going around to garage sales and to flea markets and whatnot, buying, buying up old craftsman tools and then taking them to Sears and getting new ones because that's the guarantee that they give. This product is a good product. And so that reputation that craftsmen uh, obtained, it had a tremendous reputation for being of the highest quality, so much so that the store will replace the item that has worn, been worn out or broken without literally asking any questions as to why it's being returned. Similarly, a Christian is tested by others who observe his actions and words to see if he does indeed prove to fulfill what the label calls him to be, a believer in Christ, a real Christian. It's curious that humans expect Christians 
to be perfect, but God doesn't. You get that? Humans, we test each other and we expect us, we expect each other to be perfect. But God doesn't expect that of us because He knows He knows better. All have fallen short of the glory of God, as scripture says in Romans three twenty-three. And reading further, we find in verses 24 and 26, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, not ours, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So we can, we can claim whatever we want. It's him that is holy. It's him that justifies us. It's him that changes us. It's him that does all the work. We are merely the, the recipients of all the goodness of God, of all that God has to pour out upon us. And not that we deserve it, but that God is so merciful and loving that he wants to use us, first of all, to bring out those mercies and then to share them with others and thereby bless all of those who have faith in Jesus. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ brings to mind the, the propitiation, which is what Christ did for us through his death on the cross. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That's the phrase. He paid the price for us. He wiped away the sins that brought on the wrath of God against himself on Jesus. So let me explain. Sin is an abomination before God. It's been repeated and repeated and repeated over and over again many, many times. And yet, sometimes we ignore that. Sin is an abomination before God. We always want to hear that God is love only. And that that conjures up all sorts of happy, fluffy, feel-good thoughts about our benevolent God. After all, He is our Heavenly Father. So why would He react in a negative way towards us, His children? Why would he react in a negative way? Well, it's not negative. If you really think about it, when God does something, it's a reaction of what we deserve. It's to bring what we have earned into our lives. So if we are blessed, if we are happy, if we are comforted, it's because we were doing his work. It's because we were doing what he wants from us. But if there's punishment involved, if there is admonition involved, if we are separated from the goodness that God has to share with us, to pour out upon us, it's because 
That's what we were deserving by our actions, by our thoughts, by our words, our deeds. That's what we deserved. He has to give us what we deserve. He has to allow us to fall into the sin that we are just determined to fall into. Or the hurts that we have set in motion by our actions. Because that's what was in our hearts. Think back. Did you ever do anything that made your earthly father or mother angry? Did you ever do, did anyone ever do anything that made our parents angry? Maybe I should ask, did anyone ever not do something that made our parents, uh, because I think there would be many, many fewer hands going up than if we asked, did you ever do anything to make your parents angry at you? How did they react? Did they run to the cookie jar to reward you for your rebellion, for your disobedience? Or was there a painful reminder that you can't do that? Didn't your parents punish you not so much for the results of the disobedience as for the fact that you had disobeyed them? Because sometimes we disobey and then there's a consequence that we paid. The old In the old school, those my age, if there are any that old, those my age, we know that if we were bad at school, we didn't want the word to get back to our parents because we got punished at school and then we got punished at home. It was like a double-edged sword, so to speak. So our parents wanted to make sure we got the lesson, that we learned the lesson, that we got the message we disobeyed at school. The teacher took care of that, or the principal, or whatever. Our principal used to have a uh, paddleboard about that big, that, that long, rather. It was about that wide. And he used it. He was a stout German, nothing personal, Alex, German guy. He was the kindest man you, you wanted to meet until you had done something wrong and he had to mete out a little punishment. It didn't matter how old the person was that committed the fault. In our school, uh, about 80% uh, of the students were from Mexico. Rich families would send their kids to learn English to this school. So sometimes we had guys there that were in high school in their early 20s learning English. They had already finished their education in Mexico. Some of them had already been working or whatever, but they wanted to better their chances of ascending the corporate ladder in Mexico so their families paid to send them to the school. And so we had a lot of guys, 18, 19, 20s, early 20s, uh, uh, with the rest of the students that were in their teens, in their middle teens and whatnot. The principal did not discriminate. He could paddle an older guy as well as he could paddle a young guy. And the students never rebelled against his paddling them. 
even the older ones. Can you imagine going by the principal's office and there kneeling on the floor was a 24-year-old guy on his knees looking sheepish, looking ashamed. What are you going to do? He committed a fault and he was paying the price. And this was part of the education we were getting is that when you do something wrong, there's a consequence. Well, God is trying to get the same message to us, is that when we do something wrong, there's a consequence to pay for that. The punishment was more to bring you back in line to let you know that when, you, when they said no, it meant no. 99% of the time, the punishment was meted out because they loved us. Our parents loved us. And they didn't love to hit us. They didn't love to punish us. But they loved us enough to want us to be good citizens. To want us to be worthy adults when we grew up. Have a character that was beneficial for us to have. They did not want us to grow up not being obedient and respectful. And they used to say it's for your own good. I, I never quite understood that because it hurt. And, and I couldn't see how, how can that be for my own good? This, this, hey. For your own good, they would say. Our benevolent and loving Heavenly Father also feels righteous anger when we break the rules. Because he loves us we must be corrected. But because he is also our loving and forgiving father, his grace causes him to find a way to remove the sin from our lives. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way to remove the sin from our lives. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins or the payment, the substitute took our sin upon him. He is the warm embrace of our parents when they lovingly counseled us after we uh, faltered and caused them pain. It causes us pain as parents to see our kids disobeying, doesn't it? You who are parents. It causes us pain because we see rebellion especially if you're now walking with the Lord and you know that your kids are, are rebelling against it or not listening to what you're trying to tell them, to fill them with the truth of the Lord. If you're walking with God and you see the rebellion in your children, it causes you pain. Well, guess what? It causes God pain also to see those that reject his son Jesus Christ. John 14, 21 says, If you have my commandments and you keep them, it is you who loves me. And my Father will love you. And I will love you. And I will manifest myself to you. But you see, if we love Jesus and keep the commandments and we show that love for him, God is also going to love us. But what happens if we reject him? 
What happens if we don't show love for Jesus Christ? The word says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Why would that be, I wonder? Because there's punishment coming behind that. Because there's correction coming behind that. Because there's change coming behind that. And we're not going to like it. But it's for our own good. Remember? Correction is for our own good. Jesus is that firm hand holding on to the back of our bicycle as we learn to ride it. Notice they didn't pull the bike, but held on to the back, giving us the opportunity to gain confidence in seeing ourselves actually starting to balance on that bike and not falling off, but they're holding it just in case. They're, they're there. They're there covering the possibility that we might fall and holding on so that we don't. That we could do it as they encourage us on. Knowing that the price for our sins has already been paid by the sacrifice on the cross should give us the confidence and desire to serve God who willed that sacrifice. It was because of God's will, God's love for mankind that Jesus went to the cross. And when Jesus obediently and willingly went to the cross, it pleased God. So deep was God's love that he gave us the means by which to mature as Christians and move out of the mire in the world's influence. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. You have surely heard that said, but what does it mean? Matthew 22:15 through 21. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they said to him, they sent to him, rather, their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true. Isn't that hypocritical? Because, see, they were there to test him. But they come in with this... We know that you're true with the big eyes of innocence, right? We know you're true. And teach the way of God in, in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. In other words, he's not a respecter of men. He deals evenly with, any, with everyone. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? In innocence, you know, they didn't know. They're asking the Lord, uh, you're true, so why don't you tell us what, what is happening? In the, in the full sense of hypocrisy, they come before the Lord and ask him for his wisdom. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, perceiving their wickedness, and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. It's Caesar's. 
face on that coin. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And again in Matthew 17, 24 through 27, when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, Yes, he does. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. And so Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. The sons are free. They don't have to pay taxes, right? Nevertheless, Lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. So that they won't be offended, just do that. What does it matter? It's a piece of money. It's nothing. What is that to the Lord? What's he looking for? He's looking for our hearts. He's looking for our spirits. He's looking for our minds. He's looking for our obedience, for our love. He's not looking for money. He has all the money he needs. Everything we have is what he had and gave to us. The money was irrelevant. But in order to keep the peace there, he said, go get that coin and give it to them. It doesn't matter. Just give it to them. This will pacify them. That's all it took. A coin. That'll pacify them. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Jesus was telling his disciples by these two scriptures that we must conform to certain things according to the laws of the world, but our hearts minds and spirits belong to God. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 22 through 38, it's a long scripture, but let's go through it. Paul says, And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. He was getting, the Spirit was talking to Paul, saying, there's tribulation ahead for you, Paul. But you know, that same Spirit that was warning him of the impending punishment was also comforting and uplifting his spirit. It was also filling, filling him with confidence that God is with you. But none of these things move me, he said. None of this moves me. I'll be in shackles. I'll be in prison. They're going to put chains on me. I'm going to face tribulations. But none of these things move me. In other words, I'm not going to change what I am doing for the Lord because of that tribulation. That's not going to make me change my desire, my lifestyle, 
my dedication to God, nor do I count my life dear to myself. If they take my life, I don't care. What's the worst thing that could happen to him? He'll be in the presence of the Lord. They would precipitate his departure from this earth and put him in the presence of God because, as the scripture says, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Wow. That's bad. He says, I do not count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So I'm not worried about what's going to happen. Those chains, I don't care. I don't care. The tribulation, the hungers, the punishment, the beatings, whatever I have to go through, what is that? And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. You're not going to see me anymore, you guys here that I'm writing to. Those that he was, those that he was writing to. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I haven't kept anything back that God gave me to share with you. I've given you all that he gave me. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood to shepherd them. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They're going to be liars. They're going to be cheaters. They're going to be false prophets. You know, Pastor Sean and I were talking today about a couple of things that are going on right now that are just freaking out people. Some videos are shown on the internet where different people around the world at different times are hearing what they call trumpets. They're hearing trumpets. Did you hear this? Did you see this? And they say, what is that? And they're showing it as if to say, is this the end? Is the end near? Is it coming now? What does the Bible say that Jesus said? Nobody knows the hour. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows how, when. But the question is being raised. Are those the trumpet? Is that the trumpet we're to hear? Well, this started back in 2013. That's two years ago that they started hearing noises in different parts of the world. And they don't know what it was. And so they're putting it together. They're putting a whole bunch of these little videos from different uh, countries and saying, these are the trumpets. Well, the, the word is very clear in stating on that when Jesus is coming back, there will be the trumpet will sound and the Lord will appear in all his glory. So it's saying, but when that trumpet sounds, he's here. 
He's coming. Look up, for your redemption is near. He's coming back. And that trumpet is the signal. But these guys are showing all of these different noises and calling them trumpets. People are freaking out because they're saying those, we're hearing trumpets. Are they at least mentioning, you know what, I need to get, I need to get squared away with the Lord because those trumpets, that's the, uh, that's the symbol, that's the sign that we were waiting for at least. If that's true, then I better get squared away with the Lord. No. What's important is that they're saying, it's here, those trumpets are real. No, they're not. Those aren't trumpets. They're hearing sounds of all types and they're matching them up to the shofar, which is what that angel may be blowing to signal Jesus is here. Jesus is coming. This is it. And so the other thing is all of the, what is it, blood, red moons, there's books being sold, millions of dollars are being made, and a date has been set in September, in a couple of weeks or a week, week and a half, something like that, for the end of the world, they say. The Bible says we don't know when, but they do. They are setting a date, and people are freaking out about that also. What we need to be concerned with and not worry about is that our name is written in the book of life. That's what Jesus told the disciples. Don't worry about all of this stuff that's going on. Don't worry about a title. Don't worry about your position. Don't worry about false doctrines that you're hearing. Just be sure that you are living in such a way that your name is indelibly recorded in the book of life in heaven, not on earth. It's not about what men are going to do for us. It's what God is preparing for us. What we have here on earth is nothing. This will be destroyed. This will come to an end. But the crown of glory that Paul mentioned in heaven will not be tarnished or destroyed or have any end. Amen? Just making sure that we're still here. Okay. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul says, I cried with you guys to give you the word, to give you the truth, to give you the light that God has given me to share back with you. I gave you that. I've cried over you. Don't forget that. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the world of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I have coveted none, none, none of those things that you own. I'm not looking to take that from you. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my 
necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. That was what made them sorry. Then we're not going to see him again. This guy that comes and brings the word of God. This guy that comes and encourages us with the word of God. This guy that doesn't show all of the things that the world considers important. Like greed and avarice and all of the other attributes that are worldly and not godly. And they accompanied him to the ship. And they went with him. They walked down. Can you see the can you see that scene? All these people that he was preaching to are walking with him down to the ship where his that's gonna take him back, take him away, knowing that he's never coming back this way. He's not coming back. We're gonna miss him. We're not gonna hear from him. They might see, they might receive a letter, they might receive something from him, but they won't be able to see him again. Now that brings up another point too. That's what's important about us meeting in this kind of a setting. It's that we are encouraged by seeing we're not alone here. There's not any one of us that's alone in this place tonight. None of us. And even if we were one person only, we're not alone because God is with us. God is always with us. Jesus Christ is always with us. The Spirit is always with us. We are never alone. So when we look at each other here, we are to encourage each other because we all serve the same living God. Amen? And it wasn't finished yet. In fact, it may have just been, uh, he may have just been getting started. He endured many trials and tribulations, but kept on going. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8 tells us, But you be watchful in all things. Endure, affliction, endure afflictions. In other words, go through difficulties. Are you serious? Aren't we all trying to escape afflictions? Are we not trying to get out of the way of hurtful things? Are we not trying to stay out of the way of the avalanche of the world that puts all kinds of things on us that bring tribulations, debts for one thing? That's a huge one, debts. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He says, you know what? They're already preparing me for the departure from this world. For my departure, they're getting ready to do me in. But I want you to know something. And the time of my departure is at hand, he says. 
It's, uh, it's coming close. I know, I know that Pastor Sean taught on, on the weekend about the temper of, of, the, uh, of the Romans had changed by the time Paul came back the second time and they immediately arrested him because now Nero was in charge in Rome. And things had changed for Christians. Now they were really hated and persecuted. And that's where Paul was right now saying, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I did all of those things that God put in my heart to do. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. All those that had believed in Jesus Christ. There's a crown of glory awaiting them also. But I know as for me, he says, I've done everything I was supposed to do. And now I know that there's a crown of glory up there. So he wasn't looking for money. He wasn't looking for riches. He wasn't looking for position, for influence. He was just doing the work that God gave him to do, knowing, knowing. What did Jesus tell us in uh, John 14? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions. And I go to prepare. If it wasn't so, he says, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Well, Paul knew this already. Paul knew there's a place up there for me. And we all should be encouraged by that scripture. There is a place for each one of us that have received Jesus Christ. There is a place for us in heaven. Jesus promised it. Jesus promised it. Paul believed it. And Paul knew it. And he's admonishing us. I've done what I had to do here. And when I go up there, there's a crown of glory for me. God's going to give it to me. Not a man, not a judge, not the king, not anyone else, not a ruler, not the temple administration. God only. He knew that his life on this earth was near its end. But he also knew where he was going from here. The crown of righteousness would not have been given to him on earth. It was coming from the Lord. It was in heaven. Now we need to ask the question, is there a crown waiting for us as well? Should I ask for hands now? Have we acknowledged and received the propitiation of Christ to launch us into the work of the kingdom? Have we received that blessing? Have we acknowledged it, that it exists? That not because we deserve it, but because God wanted to give it to us, that the crown of glory is there? and that Christ paid the price for our sin? Have we accepted that? Is that firmly entrenched in our hearts? 
Is that a permanent part etched indelibly in our hearts? Christ paid the price. You're free because of him. Is it there in each one of us? Have we accepted that? Some who bring their burdens to the foot of the cross and ask God to take care of their problems tend to finish their prayer, and then what do they do? They pick up the burden again on their way out, putting it back on their shoulders, and once more putting themselves back in bondage. Of what good was the sacrifice on the cross if they don't truly accept its validity and leave the burden with God? Why did he have to go to the cross if we were not going to receive that sacrifice as being made for us, undeserving as we were, as we are? Are we not sure that Christ died for us too? Are we not sure? Is that not really something that we readily have accepted? That he died for each one of us? By, by still trying to solve our own problems, are we not denying that the blood of Jesus did indeed pay for our sins when it was shed on the cross? It's this mentality that keeps us from being free to follow the will of God for our lives instead of being preoccupied with a solution to our problems. You know, this problem that I mentioned about these trumpets that are being heard or the red, red blood moon or whatever else and, and another Jewish day or, you know, everybody's putting all of these theories together. It's like astrology where they're putting the moon is in this place and the planets are in that other place and so that means that you're born you're supposed to be born a monkey instead of a man what it's crazy it's crazy it's people making up all of these dumb things that have nothing to do with what god is telling us in the bible but people want to receive all those things and yet many cannot receive the fact that jesus died for us it's hard to receive that why why? What if Paul had stopped to get help from people to remove the thorn in his side and thus would have neglected God's work that was assigned to him? What if he had looked for help? Where's the doctor? I've got this thorn in my side and it's bothering me and I can't concentrate. Isn't that what some do? We're looking for, you know what, I'm hurting here. I can't, I can't really stand up here for, for an hour because my, my, my foot is hurting. Well, lift it up. You know, I know, I know that Pastor, Char Pastor Charlie was hurting the other day when he was preaching here because he's, he's been bugged with a, with a sort of a back condition or something. But did he mention anything to any of us that he was in pain? Did he mention anything? He stayed up here. And when he came out, you could see that whoa, something was, something was hurting him. That's the way we're supposed to take, out the, take the word out. We don't want to see the pain that, we, that our body, this destructible body is going to go through. We want to hear what is filling our heart. We want to hear what the mouth is speaking from the fullness of the heart because that's what God is sharing with us. 
The pain wasn't from God. The word was. And that's what we want to receive. Don't we sometimes feel that our trials are so desperate that they are more important than doing God's work? So we come to God, lay down the burden, pray for relief from the burden, and then get up and take back the load and walk out. I'll get back to you, Lord, as soon as my troubles are over, we declare. As soon as I feel better, I'll get back to you. Then we put God on hold because we don't feel good enough to be used by God while we are being afflicted. And so what did he tell Paul? Never mind about that. Never mind about that thorn. You just keep on doing what you're supposed to do. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace will take care of that in due time. You just keep concentrating on your work. What if King David had stopped serving God after his sin was uncovered by God through the prophet Nathan? Even when he was re repenting from his sin and pleading with God for forgiveness, he did not stop trusting in his Lord. He did not stop being a man after God's own heart just because he had made a mistake. He was aware of God's mercy and grace and relied on these for his healing. Peter denied the Lord three times as Jesus said he would. Yet, when Jesus arose from the grave, let's read what transpired there in Luke 24, 1 through 12. And we find this. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, the women, and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in, sh in uh, shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. He's not here. He's already risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. He, he was prophesying what was going to happen. He was telling them what was going to happen. And the angel now is telling him, remember what he told you? Well, that's what's come to happen here. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and to told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. So in other words, the disciples heard them and they said, what's wrong with these women? You know, what are they talking about? Well, didn't they also hear these words from Jesus when he said, on the third day, I'm going to rise 
Didn't they also hear him say that? And they forgot? Or they didn't believe? They couldn't believe what Jesus said? And they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran. Peter? You mean the guy that denied him three times? Peter ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Notice in verse 9 that it says the eleven were there. That means that Peter had to be with them for there to be eleven, since Judas was not hanging around with them anymore. Thank you, Ceci. Hanging around with them anymore. Judas. Remember? Okay. In verse 12, it was Peter who ran to the tomb first to see what had happened. Why wasn't he hiding in some corner feeling sorry for himself after he had denied his Lord three times? He had denied him, and Jesus looked at him when he saw him denying him because he knew it was going to happen. In fact, he had told Peter, this is what you're going to do, Peter. I choose to believe that he had found healing for his broken heart by assembling with other believers as we should. But instead, we find that many people who are going through difficulties tend to separate themselves from church and those who seek God's love and healing counsel and instead give, it, give in to pride and self-pity, seeking to end their tribulations through their own means rather than by God's mercy and grace. I want to repeat that, that paragraph. There's something important to say here. I, I choose to believe that he found healing for his broken heart because it says that when he saw Jesus looking at him, he went off by himself and cried bitterly. Do you know what crying bitterly means? That means you feel so devastated. You feel so terrible about what you've done is that it just overwhelms you. It's so bad. What you've done was just incomparable to anything else. That's how Peter felt afterwards. But here, he found healing for his broken heart by assembling with other believers as we should. Instead, we find people that will stay away I've had people come in after weeks that we haven't seen them. Where were you? What happened? You know, what happened to you? I haven't heard from you. Hadn't seen you here. I was, I was sick. I was in the hospital. Uh, such and such died, or I lost my job. I was blah blah. Well, why didn't you call us so that we could at least pray with you? Why didn't you call us so we could go visit you? Why didn't you call so that maybe we could help you with food or whatever else we could share with you so that you wouldn't be going through this tribulation by yourself, but rather that the body would come to your help, to your aid? 
would come to share your tribulation in the love of the Lord. Why didn't you do that? I didn't want to bother anyone or I don't know, I just I felt ashamed or I felt whatever. That means that we don't place, we don't place any credence in, the, in what the Bible is telling us that don't forsake the assembling with other believers. It's good for you. Don't stay away from, from church. Don't stay away from gathering with other people. Let somebody know when you're in need. God may want to provide through whoever you talk to. Anyway, another example we need to see is in Luke 7, 40 through 50. And Jesus answered and said to them, to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. He said, there was a certain creditor and had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? It's obvious, right? It's obvious. And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, you know, those who sat at the table, who is this who even forgives sins? That's the a, that's a devil talking. That's not God. They're sitting there judging him instead of listening to the words, what Jesus was telling Simon. Now he even forgives sins. Okay. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus told the woman who had many sins, your sins are forgiven and your faith has saved you. That is what each of us can also receive when we bring our repentance and confession to God. Rather than roll around lost, trying to find our own solution to maladies in our lives, we need to bring those millstones to Jesus so that we may have them lovingly removed. Because he will. Jesus will lovingly remove 
the problems, the weights, the burdens from our shoulders. Jesus will. Our primary concern needs to be the total submission of ourselves to God's will. Then and only then can we be cleansed of these wounds. Moses was a man blessed of the Lord right from the beginning of his life. He was saved from death by being hidden from Pharaoh and found by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in Pharaoh's own house. How's that for being hidden? What is it being hidden in plain view? There he was, a Hebrew that they were trying to kill. Here he is being raised in Pharaoh's own home. Is that God's favor or what? How great was that? Yet, when he had to leave Egypt because he killed a man, he wound up as a shepherd in a peaceful setting until God appeared to him to give him some good news. What was the good news? Moses, Moses, remember Egypt? Huh? Remember Egypt where you had to leave because they were going to kill you? Remember you couldn't go back because you killed a man? Well, guess what? You're going back. Yay! Yippee! Yeah, right. <laughs> Moses' jaw must have dropped, you know, with his beard and must have hit his knees. And Moses jumps up and clicks his heels and yells, Yes! No, he didn't. Of course not. He starts trying to find excuses for not going, but winds up le leading the whole millions of people who would become the nation of Israel to freedom and a new home. He gave every excuse he could think of to convince God, I'm not the one you want. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Because I don't see anybody else around me here. Are you talking to me, Lord? I stutter. God says that. And then when you go, Moses, when you get the people ready, he's ignoring him all the time. And he keeps on telling him what's going to happen. And Moses comes up with another excuse. But I don't talk that well. And then what's going to happen is Pharaoh is not going to listen to him. And he just rolls over what Moses is using as an excuse, and he keeps on going. And Moses is getting desperate because the Lord's not listening to his junk. He's just talking and telling him, this is what you're going to do. This is what's going to happen. I'm giving you prophecy here, Moses. Will you shut up and listen? You've got a mission to perform, and I'm telling you how it's going to go. Jonah ran in the opposite direction from the one God had told him to go to deliver a message to a people God wanted to save or to give an opportunity at least in Nineveh to repent and change their ways. Eventually, but only after his, his fishing trip didn't pan out as he thought it might, he did deliver God's message to the city of Nineveh. And they did repent, and they did change their hearts. And starting from the king all the way down to the rest of the people, they all got on their knees and confessed to the Lord. 
The prophet Jeremiah ran and hid when Jezebel was after him to kill him. And God had to come to him and ask him why he was hiding. Jeremiah, who spoke with God, who had just performed a huge miracle, was running from a woman intent on killing him instead of calling on God to protect him. Instead of standing there, the same God that he said, Okay, God, send the fire down. The wood, the wet wood was consumed by the fire that God sent from heaven. And then he goes and kills like 500 prophets of Baal. And then Jezebel hears about it and says, By this time tomorrow, he's going to be suffering the same thing that he gave to my prophets. What does Jeremiah do? Ask the Lord for protection? No. Put on his best running Reeboks, took off and ran and hid. Jeremiah, who's hearing from God, who's showing God's power, is running. These men all served God and yet were weak at times because they let their lack of faith or their flesh or both separate them from God. See, that's the process. Is that when we are weak, it's because we are separating ourselves from God who strengthens us. Who strengthens us? God is the one that strengthens us. Nevertheless, the Lord continued to use them because they did not stay separated from him. When Moses was finally convinced, you know what, he's not going to give up. I, I, I might as well start packing because I'm going to Egypt. And he goes. He serves God again. David, he didn't go into hiding. He got on his knees and he wrote one of the most beautiful Psalms, and I think we're going to read it here right now. We're getting close, yeah. We're already there. I'm sorry, okay. Have mercy upon me, O God. This is King David. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Remember, he's writing this after he had been found out and Nathan came and confronted him and said, you're the guy that, you're the guy that God knows committed this sin against him. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. He's clearly opening up his heart, tearing out all of that sin as he confesses to God what he's done and accepts the responsibility for his actions. That you, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you deserve truth in the inward 
parts. You desire, I'm sorry. You desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. In the hidden part, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Hyssop was a rough, rough plant that was used for cleansing because it had this strength that it wouldn't just disintegrate. And they used it for cleaning hard. And he said, cleanse me with hyssop that I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, Lord. I don't want you to have to face them. I don't want you to be tainted by my sins. Turn away, Father. That's what he's saying. And blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Please don't separate yourself from me because I don't want to be separated from you. How many people, though, say, you know, don't call the Lord. Don't let the Lord know that I have a need. I'm going to take care of this myself, and then I'll come back and be a willing servant of the Lord. Well, being a willing servant is believing in him and knowing that through tribulations as well, God is there for us. He's there through the good times and through the bad times. Not just the pretty times. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Why? Because he had already experienced the Holy Spirit and didn't want to lose it. And he says, please, don't take that from me. Be merciful. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed O God the God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness O Lord open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it you do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifice of God or a, or a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. He's just saying, he's just saying, God, don't leave me. I know I messed up. I know I faltered. I made a mistake. I call upon your goodness. I call upon your mercy. I call upon your grace, God. It's God who called us to serve him, and it is he who would reject us if anyone were to do it. But he won't because Jesus already paid the price for us. It's already done. It's over with. We have been bought by his blood. Period. That's it. We are purchased by his blood. Don't run from him because of sin. Run to him when you have sinned. Then get back on the road he has opened for each of us.
Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Would you stand up, please, and let's pray. Oh, Lord, how great it is, Lord, to come before your presence, to hear your word, Father, to hear of your mercy, of your compassion, of your grace, to know, Lord, that your love has no end. It's boundless, Lord. To know that you have called each one of us, Lord, to receive so much that you have to share with us. Lord, tonight I just ask you that whatever this message is to convey to each one of us, it would do the work in our hearts as we go home, Lord, as we reach our homes, go to sleep, get rest, or do whatever we are going, we are going to do today. And tomorrow and the day after, and whenever, whatever length of time it takes, Father, that those seeds that have been planted in our hearts will bear good fruit for you, Father, for your love, for your mercy, and for your compassion. And Lord, I just ask you to be with us, Father, to be with us at all times, that we may never, never, Lord, forget that we serve you, the living God, and that you are there, Father, for us through the good times, through the bad times, but you're there with us at all times, so long as we stay strong in our walk with you. For we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, if anything from here helps us to change our minds about how we've been looking at the Lord, just be renewed. Just be renewed. Don't think back and get into condemnation. The Word says there is now no condemnation for those that are in the Lord, those that are walking with Jesus, those that have received Him. There's no condemnation from Him. Why should it be there from each other? There isn't. It's God's authority that we look to, right? Amen. Have a wonderful rest of the week. We'll see you on the weekend. Don't forget to pray for Pastor Charlie as he comes back this weekend, okay? God bless you all.